This is Evolutionary Radio. This is your host, Trevor Kuritsen. As always, Steve Smith is joining me. Yes, we have a fun show. We have a book author. You may have seen her book, New York Times bestseller. Trevor, introduce her, please. This episode is really exciting for me because, Dr. Anne, I have recommended your Fat Flesh Plan book to pretty much all of your clients. And to just show you that I am actually legit, here is your book. (laughs) Because you know, you probably, probably when you're doing all these interviews, people say, oh, I love your book when they never actually read it. No, I actually have read it and do recommend it. So Dr. Adam, the main reason I wanted to get you on the show is that a lot of our listeners are bodybuilders. They might not necessarily complete, but you know, they're going to the gym, they're lifting weights. And there's still that misconception that fat is a three letter swear word. All the time people are posting up their diet and you know, it's chicken, rice, chicken, rice, egg whites, oatmeal zero zero fats so the first thing i wanted to talk to you about is like talk to our listeners about why do you need to eat fat well first of all it's a pleasure to be with you trevor and steve so thank you so much for having me and then with regard to the fat issue what i can tell you is that not all fats are created equal and fat is absolutely essential for the functioning of your immune system number one for the triggering of excess body fat number two, for the triggering and activation of brown fat number three, and for the feeding of the mitochondria number four. We should also note that the right kind of fats, particularly the kind that I'm writing about in my new book, Radical Metabolism, the Omega-6s, feed the structure of the cell membrane. So you can't have toxins prevented from getting into the cell if you don't have a strong cellular membrane, which we do not have with the current diet that people are eating or with the no to low fat program. So anybody that is no to low fat is antiquated now in the science, number one, and is doing their immune system a great disservice, Trevor and Steve, number two. So in the typical American diet, which most of our listeners are American, um, how much of those good fats are Americans getting, would you say? Well, when we talk about the good fats, we're talking about the omega-3s and the omega-6s, which nobody is really talking about, Steve. So we're talking about essential fatty acids that you're getting from sources like fish and chia and maybe some uh, flaxseed. When we talk about the omega-6s, we're talking about hemp and sesame, pine nut oil as well, and some of your uh, raw foods and raw fats that are coming from ghee as well as butter and cream. So my concern is the omega-6s, which have been deemed for so long. I would say that a lot of people may be on the bandwagon for omega-3s, but nobody's getting the omega-6s, which is why I think that we need to talk a little bit about that and how important it is for the skin, the hair, the nails, the eczema, the psoriasis, and the problems that people are having with their immunity and lack of fuel for the mitochondria. Because the fuel for the energy engines in your body is none other than omega-6s. When we take testing and we do the omega testing on a blood test, Steve, people are very deficient in omega-6s in terms of the linoleic acid component. So I'd say we're not doing a good job with the typical American diet. But aren't we getting like way more omega-6s than omega-3s? It's like a 20 to 1 or 15 to 1 ratio. I'm not against omega-6s, 
But like the thing is, if you tell someone eat more omega sixes, now they're going to be twenty five or thirty to one. Shouldn't we correct their diet in the first place? Well, we have to correct the omega sixes because not all sixes are created equal. I think that's the first misconception which so many of us have bought into. Yeah, we've got a lot of commercial omega sixes that are unusable to the cell membrane on the in the diet and on the mass market. We're talking about corn oil in that regard. You're talking about canola, some kind of sunflower seed oil, and even soybean oil. I'm not talking about those sixes. I'm talking about the usual, you the usable parent oils, which are the precursors to the GLA, which is so important on an, is an essential fatty acid. So nothing that is a GMO product or anything that is really uh, refined or overly processed or full of chemicals is so, something that I'm dead set against. But that doesn't mean you throw the baby away with the bathwater. We're talking about the omega-6s from the linoleic acid, the cis-linoleic acid, which is totally deficient in the diet. And you can say the same thing about omega-3s. If they're bastardized, and they're demonized if they're heated and if they're full of chemicals, they're not usable either. We're talking about a whole different kettle of fish, so to speak, which is where the hemp seed oil comes in handy, the pine nut oil, sesame seed oil, and ghee and butter, as well as cream from pasteurized, from raw and pasture-raised animals. Right, but like most of our dairy farms in the United States aren't raw and unpasteurized. So how... Like, you see what I'm saying? Like, because I deal with a lot of people, my specialty is I deal with a lot of clients who've gone to doctors for issues and they come to me and they're like, and I tell them, yeah, you need to eat more fats. And they're like, well, I'm eating fats. I'm, I get nuts from the uh, gas station every day. I eat, get the nuts in the package. And I say, really? Go tell me what's in that package. And they're like, oh, the first ingredient, hydrogenated soybean oil. And I'm like, there you go. That's your problem. I'm like, dude, you gotta eat raw nuts. You know, and then the fish, they buy frozen fish that's been farmed in some aquarium in uh, China. And I tell them, go get wild fish. So, I mean, how do we separate like the quality of our food, which is very poor. If you go to Walmart, there's nothing that's healthy that is sold in a package or sold in the box. So how do we separate those two things and, te and educate people? Well, it's quality. I think you've answered the question. So it's quality. And if people simply add one to two tablespoons of hemp seed oil to their diet, they're getting the necessary four to one in favor of the good omega-6s, the unaltered parent oils that I'm talking about that also oxygenate the system. And if they're going to get some butter or cream, they get raw organic butter or cream. And all of those things are very simple to find in this day and age. You get hemp seed oil in every health food store in the country. You get your raw butter, your cream, your CLA supplements, and even your GLA, which are botanicals. So I think it's a matter of education. It's not just a matter of convenience. Dr. Ann, why do you think it is that when you go to your typical grocery store, like let's say you go to Walmart, they might have olive oil, but besides that, the oils they're generally selling are canola oil, sunflower oil, soybean oil. Is it, are those oils just cheaper to produce so they get more money? Or, or why do you think that is? I think they're cheaper to produce, number one, and I think Americans have bought into the concept that canola oil is one of the best cooking oils because it's stable with higher heat. And right now we're noting that it's a very high GMO-based oil. It's high in omega-3s, and it can be high in certain elements that are not good for the system as well. So I think it's a matter of education. And again, the four to one is really what we have to strive for. The latest research suggests that it's four to one in favor of the unaltered, unrefined omega-6s to the omega-3s. And just by adding the hemp seed oil, I'm a big believer in hemp, Trevor. 
Just by adding the hemp seed oil, one to two tablespoons a day will do wonders for the skin, the hair, the nails, and even weight loss, which is not just important for those that need to lose weight or have issues with their thyroid, but it's important for all the bodybuilders out there that need to saturate the cell membrane with the good omega-6s that act as a structural component. So how I, have a, I have a question, though, before Trevor, you jump in. Olive oil? Um, I did an interesting uh, research on olive oil, Fit in, it said that the olive oil you buy from the store, like a Walmart, it's not really olive oil. It's actually, they actually lace it like with vegetable oils, canola oils, other stuff, and they can legally do that. It's like a loophole in the law in the United States. So basically everything you buy at Walmart or Costco or any of these big places is not really olive oil. Do you know much about that? I know a lot about it. I know an awful lot about it. Can you talk about that and help us out so we can actually buy real 100% olive oil and not the crap that they sell? Well, they cut it. They cut it with canola. They cut it with sunflower oil, to be quite exact. And you can get an 80 to 20% blend. And when you go out to eat and say, do you use extra virgin olive oil, most, most places in this country, in, the, in America per se, will use an 80 to 20% blend. So what you have to do is get an olive oil from the state of California where they have a standardization and it has to be standardized to fit a certain level of integrity and quality. Usually when I, when I get an olive oil on the market, I will taste it. And Steve, if there's a little bit of a catch, a little bit of a bitterness when it goes down the palate, you know the stuff is real. And there's very few on the market that even say 100% extra virgin olive oil in the health food stores that I would buy. But seeing that California label is really the key. And that's a good point. You have to be a detective out there. So you have to really know what you're putting in your body because quite frankly, you're in charge, not the government and not the FDA. So real quick before Trevor jumps in, I just want to clarify this. So we should be looking for California. It's from California or is there like a stamp? It's a California standardization. So it's like a stamp that's on the bottle? It's like a stamp that's on the bottle. And if okay. you, could, you want me to give you some names of those that I use myself? Absolutely, yeah. All right, so there's one that Steve Sinatra just came out with, and I can't remember the brand name, but it has that taste as you... As you as you taste the oil, it has that little bitterness as it goes down the palate, and you know the stuff is real. It's really what they use in Italy to define what gets to be 100% extra virgin olive oil from privately owned orchards. Okay, excellent. And then what's the price? Is the price on the real stuff versus the crap? Is there a huge difference in price? Is that uh, something else to be suspicious about? Like if you see a big thing of olive oil for like five bucks or six bucks, it's, then we know right off the bat it's probably not right. Yeah, good, right? Yeah, yeah. Let me tell you, there are the other ones in the health food store that I've also seen uh, that, have been, that have kind of passed the taste test. There's one that comes out from uh, Bragg's these days. It's 100% olive oil. That also has the taste of real olive oil. They say that the highest level of polyphenols, which is what you want to look for in an olive oil, comes from Spain, not even from Italy. So this particular oil is the one from Spain that I'm referring to, and it's a Bragg's product. You can find it in the health food store. It's kind of in a dark green bottle. So I like the Steve Sinatra brand, which I've just become a real fan of because I've just learned about it, and that's made in California that has the California standardization brand and the certificate of authenticity, and the one that you get in the health food store, which is a Bragg's product. So Dr. Ann, talk to your listeners about how you would actually use these oils, because certain high polyunsaturated oils like flaxseed you wouldn't cook with. So how would you recommend 
actually incorporate these oils and these healthy fats into their diet. So the essential fatty acids, I mean, you've said it, you've really opened up uh, Pandora's box, so to speak, Trevor. So the essential fatty acids you cannot cook with. Flaxseed oil has to be used in no-cook recipes, as does perilla oil, another source of the omega-3s, no-cook recipes. Uh, the hemp seed oil, no-cook recipes, as well as the pine nut oil, which is so healing for your entire digestive tract. Nothing like it to heal esophageal irritation, ulcers, and leaky gut. Those you cannot cook with. So anything that's high in omega-3s or omega-6s, no heat. However, the neutral oils are the olive oils as well as macadamia nut oil. So I'm a big believer in the mac nut oil because it's high in omega-7s, good for collagen. And for individuals that are over the age of 40, as I am now, it's very good for the skin, the hair, the nails because of the omega-7, which is rare to find in a vegetarian-based product. So I like to cook high heat. In my macadamia nut oil, I also use ghee, which can take the heat, you know, the clarified butter, good, high in the good omega-6s if it's from pasture-raised animals. And I would say for high heat, there's another one that's out there called algal oil, A-L-G-I-A-L, which is a newbie on the market that also can take the heat. Olive oil, not so much, and uh, coconut oil, not so much. So that's what I would do. A lot of those oils are very neutral. You want more of the omega-3s than the omega-6s, so use them in salad dressings or as drizzles on fruit and vegetable dishes. What about the spray-on things? Because me and Trevor have been talking about that lately, and... Um... I agree with him. We should probably avoid the sprays. Is that true? What I do is I get a mister. I do, I do agree with you both on that. I get a mister and I just missed a little olive oil or I missed a little avocado oil is another one. I'm not as crazy about avocado oil. It doesn't have all the benefits of the macadamia nut oil. So I just take a mister bottle and I miss the macadamia nut oil. Totally delicious, totally neutral, and very, very healing for the system. So before we move on this topic, I just want to clarify as well, because you're a wealth of knowledge on this. When you're talking about like it doesn't work with like coconut oil doesn't work with heat do you mean it doesn't work in terms of cooking or it doesn't work in terms of it deteriorates deteriorates the health benefit the high heat oil the high it's it's high heat the high if, if you're going to be frying or stir sauteing you want to use something like macadamia nut oil you could use some um because what oh, is it because of, oil. is it because of health reasons or is it because it's just poor to cook with at high heat. That's, that's what I'm asking. It doesn't, it doesn't hold up to heat well. Okay. I'm not, because but it doesn't it have like, a high But it won't like make it like, you know, so you shouldn't cook with it because it doesn't hold it, but it's not like it goes from being healthy to unhealthy is what I'm trying to get at. Not, no, the ones, the ones that have the highest smoke point that have been determined by laboratory studies include the omega-6s like ghee, clarified butter for high heat, sur sautéing, frying. Uh, I would also use the macadamia nut oil and I would use the avocado oil. Second to that would be the olive oil and the coconut oil, but I wouldn't use coconut oil for deep frying. I would use a different type of oil. You can even use a rice bran oil, which actually will take the heat. So certain oils even take more heat than coconut oil is the point. It has everything to do, Steve, with smoke point. What, what Steve was trying to ask is he was asking, should you not cook with those oils because they won't taste good? Or does it affect the nutrient profile? And what happens basically? It, it affects. It would affect the nutritional profile. Exactly, because the the oil would become rancid. Yeah, because the oils, the oils. There, there's some aspects of that oil which would become rancid. 
And that's why if you're going to take the heat, you want something like ghee, which is more of a saturated fat, which will take the heat, as well as an omega-7 oil like the macadamia nut oil. And they won't lose their taste nor their nutritional profile at higher heats because of their higher smoke point. So Dr. Han, talk to us about your new book, Radical Metabolism. This is your next book, is it? You mean this book? Yeah. This exactly. book right here? <laughs> yeah, well, I talk about the oils in that book. There are actually all kinds of lists of what, what will hold heat well, what you shouldn't expose to air, heat, and light. I talk a lot about oils in, in there and talk about the difference between the omega-3s and the 6s and the coconut oil, which so many of us have not grown up ancestrally with. Most of us are not from certain types of locales or tropical areas where we have this natively part of our DNA. So I talk a lot about that. I talk about how this is important for people with no gallbladders, how important it is to get your bile flowing, how important thyroid function is, and what to do with the autoimmune epidemic. So it's really a radical health book, Trevor and Steve. It's not just about losing weight, although it's called radical metabolism. I rewrite the rules of nutrition and throw out a lot of myths, like all omega-6s are bad. That's not true. The right omega-6s are absolutely critical to health, as we've discussed. And I talk about the importance of keeping your gallbladder, if you can, and about throwing out some certain types of utensils, cooking utensils, like your, your cast iron, for example. That would be a good point to discuss with your group. Talk to us about that, and then talk to us about bile, because most of our listeners have heard the term, but they're not exactly sure what bile is or why it's important. Bile should be just as important as probiotics. Bile should become brilliant. It's a sexy term. And why it's important is this. Bile is the digestive fluid which is kept in the gallbladder as a storage fluid that is important for breaking down fats into usable particles. It helps to flush toxins. And it also triggers the thyroid to transfer inactive T4 to T3. So it's a very important unsung hero when it comes to metabolism. Quite frankly, Trevor, I call bile the new thyroid cure for reasons that I discuss in the book because there's a connection between the gallbladder or lack thereof and the thyroid and a downward halt in the metabolism. That's what's so wonderful about the book. You get the bile flowing, you get bile support, you get gallbladder support if you do not have a gallbladder and people see that their, their, their uh, metabolism goes through the roof. So what are some steps our listeners could take to get the bile flowing? To get the bile flowing again is number one. Get to go to Radical Metabolism to, to get the book, number one, and you'll get some wonderful recipes that'll teach you how to do that even before you get the book at radicalmetabolism.com. But quite frankly, what I talk about in the book is the importance of certain nutrients that are helpful for decongesting the bile. I talk about choline at the amounts of 500 milligrams three times a day to defat the liver and to thin out the bile. To decongest the bile, you want certain bitters. Bitters are a real important aspect of the book to cut the cravings, to thin the bile, to get your system churning the way it should. We've got to get back bitters into the diet, which means bitter greens, it means bitter fruits, bitter vegetables, and even more turmeric, uh, more, more um, oh, cinnamon is a bitter, uh, more cumin. Paprika? Paprika is not considered a bitter, but I do love paprika, very high in vitamin C. But I'm going to tell you another one that just came to mind. That's um, 
Horseradish is even more potent in terms of its bitter component than even ginger, which is a part of our program. And even to say in that regard that when you talk about bitters getting the system working and promoting digestive juices and HCL and bile production and promotion and bile thinning, it's very important to understand that coffee is a bitter. That's one of the reasons after reviewing the research that I decided to change my whole aspect 180 on coffee. Never been a coffee drinker, can't really deal with the caffeine, but coffee is a bitter. And the chlorogenic acid substance in coffee, it's not the caffeine, it happens to triple fat burn. And that has been found in some of the British journals. So it's an important aspect of my program. Coffee is, arugula is, watercress is, grapefruit is, as well as chocolate. So we're telling people that bitter is better and bring back the bitters for weight loss and overall health. But not like the chocolate, again, not the chocolate that they sell like at the gas station. It's got to be like real bitter chocolate. Where would you get that? In a health food store. I give everybody my brand names. And when they get the book and they buy the book at RadicalMetabolism.com, they, they actually get a list of the brand names before they buy a book. So it's not going into Costco for the most part or Walmart or the latest gas station or whatever and getting what's, what's sold in there. We give you specific brand names, sp specific percentages of what to look for. And if you're going to have your chocolate, you want to make sure it's as organic as possible. You want to make sure that the only sweeteners that are used are stevia or maybe a little erythritol. So yeah, I talk about all of that in spades in radical metabolism. Yeah, it's guys, it's guys I just want to say before some you know, overweight person listening to this goes out and, and buys a bunch of Hershey's bars and they start eating them. They're like, oh, this is good for me. You guys really got to watch what you're putting in your body for sure. Because that's, that's the big mistake that I see 100% of the time with people who come to me is they just don't, they don't know what they're putting in their body. So what's another example of something that Americans specifically are putting in our body that we shouldn't, that destroy our bile, that destroy our digestion, et cetera, that the media and the, you know, big companies tell us is good for us, but are not. Can you give us some examples? Well, I'll give you an example of some medications. You get the PPIs that are out there, for example. You'll get the antacids that are out there. Because anytime you're not producing hydrochloric acid, you're not giving the gallbladder the, the, the trigger, the signal to actually release the bile. So you, anything that affects your, your stomach, uh, Tagamet may be another drug. Anything that suppresses HCL production is not healthy for the system. So we talk a lot about that. Uh, I think that people are taking an awful lot of coconut oil and they're thinking that they've got their good fats in the diet or even MCT oil out there. And yet they're deficient in the essential fatty acids that you need for the skin, the hair, the nails, and your immunity. So I'd say that there's a real misconception about all kinds of fats. You need the essential fatty acids as well as the neutral saturated fats. Uh, and then I think we're cooking in utensils that really bother me, and that's where the cast iron comes into play. So I talk about all of that. We kind of break it apart. We unpack all of these myths and tell people what to do. And we don't just give them information. We give them the brand name, Steve. We tell them where to find it, and we tell them what to look for on a label. So I think it's important that people actually read the book, and then they can come back to me with any type of question, morning, noon, or night. Dr. Ann, talk to us a little bit about your liver. I feel like a lot of people are suffering from stubborn body fat because they have a toxic liver. So talk to us about some of the drugs they might be taking that 
is toxifying their liver and then certain things that they could do to help detoxify their liver. Well, I think the liver is a real important unsung hero, quite frankly, when it comes to burning body fat. And so it's important for people to know that their liver is functioning properly. In this day and age, Trevor, we have a lot of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease for people that have never even taken a drop of alcohol in their lives or maybe taking too much corn syrup or corn star or corn uh, sugars or corn sweeteners like fructose. So there's a lot of fructose-driven fatty liver. And one of the reasons that there's so much fatty liver is because we have a deficiency of a nutrient which is known as choline. I think I spoke about it earlier in terms of the 500 milligrams three times a day for at least six weeks to defat a liver. So you need more foods that are rich in choline that is a lipotropic nutrient. That's where certain foods come into play like non-GMO soybean lecithin or sunflower lecithin, very high in certain types of choline. I think people are deficient in the bitters, which is so important to emulsify the fats that can be stockpiled in the liver. That's where your lemon juice and water in the morning or even some apple cider vinegar before you eat is important. And even the coffee, the, the best organic non-mold coffee is important in detoxifying the liver. Or a coffee enema, you should excuse the expression, may be very important in dumping toxic bile and detoxifying the liver. So the liver is very important. It's an organ that can regenerate itself. You want to make sure you have enough lipotropic nutrients. That's choline and acetyl, as well as methionine. And all of those are important for detoxifying not just the liver itself, but helping to break down hormones because we have a lot of hormone problems that are rooted in a toxic liver. So I'm so glad that you're teaching about that because that's a very important focal point and one that I touch upon in radical metabolism. Talk to us a little bit about lecithin, whether it be non-GMO, soy lecithin, or sunflower lecithin. That was a supplement you thought know, you- about 20 years ago, but you don't hear people talking about it anymore. Why do you think that is? Good point, because it's the newest herb of the month these days. I mean, there's not a lot of money to be made with non-GMO lecithin, and people confuse, you know, lecithin with soy, and we now know that soy gotten such a bad rap. And if it's unfermented, it's not really healthy for the body because of the excess estrogens, the inability to digest some of the phytonutrients and so forth. But there's a lot of research to connect the fact that the non-soybean lecithin is an important aspect for the nervous system, number one. It also emulsifies fats, number two. And years ago, when I was a wee little one and worked in health food stores in Connecticut, I'm from West Hartford, Connecticut, I saw people come into the health food store and the first, the first health food that they would ever desire to take was lecithin because they found that it reduced their LDL levels, their, their low-density lipoproteins, and they also found that it helped to prevent future heart attacks. So it's a very important fatty liver nutrient, number one, very important for cholesterol modification and moderation, also important to detoxify and thin the bile. So this is important for anything related to fats, the health of the liver, and the health of your heart. So if you're not a fan of soy, even if it's non GMO soy lecithin, you could take a sunflower lecithin, which is all over the place. And I would take two probably tablespoons full in maybe a smoothie once or twice a day. But it's magnificent in terms of bringing down those LDL levels, which are the ones that are really to be looked at when you're thinking of heart disease and heart health. First thing we do when we're done recording, doctor, and ask them to buy some lecithin, lecithin. I wanted to know what would you recommend, non-GMO soy or would you recommend sunflower lecithin? Hold on one second, Trevor. You're freezing. 
I said, the first thing we do when we're done recording is I'm going to go buy some lecithin. I was wondering, do you recommend non-GMO soy lecithin or do you recommend sunflower? Between you and me, I recommend the non-GMO soy lecithin because the majority of the research that I have read over the years talks about non-GMO soy lecithin. Okay. And then for our listeners, does it matter if you take it on an empty stomach? Should you take it with meals? Um, you or- can take it. You can put it on grapefruit for all I care. It doesn't matter at all. <laughs> lecithin and grapefruit. That'll be an interesting breakfast combo. I have put... Uh, I have to tell you a little secret, another secret. I, because grapefruit is a bitter, so bitter is better in terms of my diet. But I have put uh, real olive oil. Steve will get a kick out of this. If you put about a teaspoon of the real olive oil, the extra virgin olive oil, you put a teaspoon of it on pink grapefruit, it sweetens the grapefruit. Interesting. One, one thing I want you to touch on, Dr. Ann, is caffeine. Because... You know, I agree with you. I think coffee in moderation is healthy, but we're a society that is addicted to caffeine. If you go on every corner in North America, there's a Starbucks and a drugstore. We're an underslept and over an overdrug society. Stimulated, agreed. So talk. Oh, I don't. I don't disagree. I don't disagree one iota with you. I was. I've been against caffeine in all my books. This is the first book where I actually tell people to drink coffee, and it's one cup a day that we use in the morning, because between you and me, there was too much good research where I just couldn't ignore the importance of coffee in the program. But now, the particular coffee brand that I recommend now has a brand that is decaffeinated with the Swiss process, so there's no chemicals, and it contains the same amount of polyphenols that is in regular caffeinated coffee. So I don't disagree with you one iota in that regard, but if you can't tolerate caffeine, and I'm one of them that can, I have burned out adrenals, it's been that way for years, then I would take the decaffeinated, Swiss process decaffeinated organic coffee version. Just a fun fact, do you guys know the most caffeinated country in the world? Is? What is it? What do you guys think it is? Is it us? Is it America? Is that, okay, Trevor, what do you think? I think it's Colombia. It's Finland. Finland has 600 liter per capita. That's how much is consumed. It's, it's twice as much as the next country, which is Norway. So if you ever go to Finland, that, that everyone up there, <laughs> over there must be like hyped up, you know? It must be insane. Insomnia must be a problem. But there must, be, there must be a physiological reason for that. And I wonder if it's a lack of something in the essential fatty acids. It's very maybe, interesting. Maybe because it's, not- it's so dark and cold there, you know, that they have to be drinking. Because Finland, Norway, Denmark, and Germany are the top four. And they're all, like, in the same part of the world. So maybe it's a cultural thing or maybe it was where it's located. Well, they may also have stronger adrenals. I don't know. For, for those of us that are more sensitive that can't tolerate the caffeine, it's something to be looked at. But in my program, if you can't tolerate coffee and don't want the decaffeinated healthy version that's now out, you can always use dandelion root tea or even some oolong tea because they have weight loss benefits as well. Okay. Dr. Ann, talk to us about supplements for liver health and adrenal health. Because now when you go to your typical health food store and you go in the liver section, I mean, there's thousands of different supplements you can buy. What are some yeah. of the 
Okay, so my favorite supplements, I believe, Trevor, that less is more. So I don't believe in high doses of a lot of things anymore, unless it's vitamin C. I'm going to say that I like dandelion root tea. That would be a supplement I would use. One to two cups a day keeps the liver very, very smoothly functioning. It also acts as a diuretic because it's high in potassium, which is the detox mineral. So I'm, I'm loving dandelion root tea, roasted dandelion root tea, much better than regular dandelion root tea. The other supplements that I like have to do with the lipotropic nutrients. We touched on them, the choline, the methionine, and the inositol at the tune of 500 milligrams per meal. Last but not least for the liver, I'm, I'm really liking Oregon grape root because it's a source of natural berberine, which is very therapeutic for the liver low levels of Oregon grapefruit, not such a big believer in milk thistle. Quite frankly, I see a lot of people that are allergic to it because it's related to ragweed. So um, that would be my, my top picks, I think, for the liver. When it comes to the adrenal, pantothenic acid, by and far is better than any of this herbal stuff that's out there. I, I don't really like to resort to too much herbal anything because we don't know where the herbs are coming from. Half of them are loaded with lead, cadmium, or arsenic if you do your testing. So I like good old-fashioned pantothenic acid in the form of pantothene, which is much more easily available to the system to the tune of two grams per day. Now I have run low blood pressure all my life. I've been in stage two adrenal exhaustion because I push, I'm kind of like an overachiever. So I have been taking it for all my life and now my blood pressure is perfectly normal at my age at 120 over 80. And I attribute that to pantothene at two grams a day. I take that first thing in the morning upon awakening. In love with pantothene, the anti-stress vitamin, it's a B vitamin. Other than that, I like the adrenal protomorphogens from uh, certain tissues, well, from the, the adrenal glands itself, from the animals that are farmed in New Zealand. Uh, not crazy about a lot of the adaptogenics. I find that they're very toxic. They're just loaded with heavy metals like the uh, ashwagandha that everybody loves. If you can get a rhodiola from Russia, then that would be the other one that I would like. So it's pantothene and rhodiola. Those are the two I would bank on. And, and, and uh, you know, separating what we can take for a second, what can we do in our daily lives to reduce stress and to, you know, help with adrenal fatigue and boost sleep quality and all that good stuff? Is there something besides taking, because we all want to take something, take something, take something, but what can we do? Is it like yoga? Is it like meditation? What are some tips you can give our listeners? Yeah, have breakfast. <laughs> Have breakfast in the morning. For, if you're up for an hour, you have something to set your blood sugar straight. So setting blood sugar straight with some protein, the good fats that we've talked about, is very important first thing in the morning. I'm a big believer in whether it's a smoothie, if it's an energy blaster like I talk about in my book, or last night's supper. Protein, fat, and the right kind of carbohydrates, I think, is essential for setting the stage for good blood pressure and for a good uh, blood sugar. So that would be number one. Number two is making sure that you have breakfast, lunch, and dinner at three to four hours difference between those times and not taking a lot of caffeinated beverages, including green tea, white tea, or black tea throughout the day. I'm not a big believer in the green tea craze that's so prevalent in this day and time. 
So I think if you're going to do anything, do a good herbal tea that acts like a natural relaxant, and that could be some chamomile, or that could be some red zinger, or even something like dandelion root. So that's what I would do. But breakfast is essential, as well as a good quality salt. Sodium is an important nutrient for the adrenals, and a lot of people are going salt-free, and their adrenals are suffering. So do remember the Kellogg, I'm sorry, remember the Kellogg commercial when I was growing up, they used to have the kid playing baseball and they'd be like, eat a good breakfast and it'd be like cornflakes drenched in, in, uh, in sugar and in milk. You're not talking about that. You're talking about, well, well, give us an example of a good breakfast. Well, what I had this morning was last night's pizza. We made a pizza with, with, um, uh, cauliflower, cauliflower, it was a cauliflower crust pizza. So I had the cauliflower crust pizza. I had a little bit of organic, uh, I think it had ground beef in it or ground turkey, a lot of vegetables. I had organic spinach and I had a lot of garlic and I had a few dry, sun-dried tomatoes. I poured a little hemp seed oil over it because I'm big on omega-6s, hemp, hemp, hooray. That was my breakfast. You could take eggs with a green and maybe a little bit of, um, Oh, maybe it's a little bit of sweet potato for your starch. But having a good breakfast is really key. I know a lot of people are in favor of uh, intermittent fasting, but for those of us with low blood sugar issues and adrenal issues and anxiety issues, you need your protein at least an hour after you get up in the morning. It's really interesting because right now intermittent fasting is the flavor of the month. Oh, I know. There's so much that's, that's really hot out there that I don't agree with. I'm not a big fan of keto or paleo or anything that's out there. That's why I had to write radical metabolism. Okay. Talk, talk to us about keto because I agree with you. And I think that most people do overconsume carbohydrates, but keto is a pretty extreme approach. You know, it's kind of like all carbs are bad where what they should probably be doing is limiting carbohydrates, not reduced, not completely cutting them out. Oh, you can't live without carbohydrates. It's insane. So if you're going to do a keto-style diet, at least use the right kind of fats that I talk about in radical metabolism. You need your threes and your sixes, for God's sakes. You need the hemp seed oil. You need the pine nut oil, the sesame seed oil, or hemp hearts. you got to balance all that saturated fat with the good fats because saturated fats and your MCT oils and your coconut oils and your bacon, they are not essential to the body. They're neutral saturated fats. So that's number one. And number two, we we need a certain amount of carbohydrates. Your body needs it to fend off depression, number one. You need carbohydrates in terms of fuel, food fuel and variety in the diet. So I think keto may be good short term. I'm not going to negate that, Trevor. There's a lot of good research to suggest it's good short term. Long term, I'm against it. And people will need to digest the fats by using my bitters and getting some sort of gallbladder support system in place, as I talk about in the book. What are, what are some you know, carbs? That I know it's in the book, but can you give us maybe one or two carbs that we shouldn't be consuming that maybe we are, especially in the fitness industry, and give us maybe one or two carbs that, you know, are fantastic that we're avoiding because we're scared of them? Example, is rice a good carb, bad carb, or does it depend on the type of rice? Because that's, I had rice last night. I don't typically have rice. I'm kind of like, not sure, is rice good for me? Is rice bad for me? So maybe I'll have rice like once a week, once every two weeks, because I'm scared of it. But like, you're the expert. Should I be consuming rice as an athlete who wants to be nice and lean? Well, rice is a really high uh, complex carbohydrate, and it's also high in arsenic. So if you're just taking rice as your choice of 
complex carb and your carb choice, I would alternate that a little bit. I think if you're going to do rice, do a white rice, do a basmati rice instead of a brown rice because it's got less arsenic, number one. It's easier in the digestion, number two. Less lectins, which is a whole issue I talk about, number three. And I would think if you're going to do something, get more starchy vegetables like your sweet potatoes, your yams, and even your squashes that are now out there. So that's what I would do. In terms of good grains, seed-like grains, I like millet, a little bit of millet, very soothing for the system, high in manganese. I also like a little bit of um, the basmati rice that we spoke about and a little bit of sorghum. So I think in moderation, it's all good. It's, it's moderation, but you can't live without carbohydrates because your system will then go overboard when it's time to get off your keto or paleo. And you, you want to get, get a variety of nutrients in the diet. So you have to really get a variety of things. There's nothing wrong with a sweet potato or an organic baked potato or the baked potato skins or a little bit of butternut squash. And I think we need that for satiety. I think satiety is just as important as health. Talk to us a little bit about arsenic and rice. Would that be also in organic rice? Or would that just oh, be yeah, 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 yeah. It's a natural vegetable that kind of, a natural vegetable, excuse me, it's been a long day. A natural grain that bioaccumulates uh, arsenic, just the way that um, the tea plant is a bioaccumulator of fluoride, which I think is affecting people's thyroids. So there are ways of preparing it. You can look it up on the internet that can get rid of if you soak the rice a certain amount of time, especially that basmati rice, it dramatically lessens the amount of arsenic. And one of the highest arsenic rice derivatives is none other than rice syrup, which you used to see brown rice syrup and a lot of natural sweeteners, Trevor. So you have to stay away from that. And people are on these gluten-free diets. So what are they eating? Rice crackers, rice chips, all kinds of rice products. So you want to make sure that if you're eating rice, that you eat it maybe twice a week with four days in between, which gives your body time to detoxify. Speaking, wait a second. Speaking of gluten, um, it just seems like this gluten thing has exploded. And it seems like more and more people are gluten intolerant. And I notice with me, if I consume something with gluten, I might get some sinus my sinuses will burst a little bit. My stomach gets blow, bloated. What is causing this gluten issue? Is it because it's the GMO? Is it because of the pesticides in the, in, in the, in the grain? What do, you, what do you think about this? Or is it just a bunch of BS and it's all in our heads? I don't think it's BS. I think that it really exists. And there are different degrees on the spectrum of gluten intolerance. Um, I'm one that doesn't tolerate rice really well. So I, I, I will get a non-GMO gluten product uh, any day in my program. We're biochemically individual. But I think it's glyphosate, not gluten. I think it's the weed killer that's really making us all so, so hypersensitive, quite frankly. Uh, so that's really what I think. So if you're not going to be having a glutinous grain, whether that's uh, wheat, rye, oats, or barley, then you have to look into the millet that I spoke about, the basmati rice, which is a less source of arsenic, as well as the sorghum. You just have to get alternatives. I'm not a real big lover of quinoa, by the way, because I find it's hard to digest. What are your thoughts on oatmeal? Sometimes you need a little oatmeal. <laughs> You know, sometimes you need a little oatmeal. I mean, I take oatmeal maybe once or twice a season. Um, and so I think people can tolerate that pretty well. I don't, as long as it's organic, I would use the oatmeal with a little whey protein powder, maybe use that as a kind of milk, 
in the oatmeal or a little cream. And then you got, you know, the protein, the carbs, and the uh, fat. So I think you can have anything as long as it's the high quality. It's quality that counts and the healthiest brand names that we know of. Yeah, I don't get the one with like cinnamon, apple, sugar added to it that they sell in the package. No, no, you, you gotta read, no, you have to read labels. And if you see anything that has more than four grams of sugar per serving, you nix it. That's just off limits. You, you need at least 20 to 30 grams of protein per meal if you're not an endurance athlete. Four grams of carbohydrates or four grams of sugar per serving is really the limit of anything. So you got to be careful. And I think people are just going overboard because as a nation, if a little is good, a lot is better. And, and if, you know, people are just way too um, extreme in terms of their, their dietary preferences. You know, keto to me is the new Atkins, and that didn't bode well for a lot of people. But cutting out carbohydrates for the majority of us is probably a good thing. Cutting them down, not eliminating them totally. Do you think Americans were eating too much food and too often? Like how many meals a day should we be consuming? I would think that a good three meals a day, there's some new research to suggest that if you're eating too much, too quickly, that your body promotes too much insulin, which is a fat promoting, you know, uh, hormone. So I'm going to suggest that if you need a little something, maybe a piece of fruit between meals would do, you know, a low glycemic, low sugar, low fructose fruit, definitely three meals a day. I wouldn't eat beyond eight o'clock. Okay. And is that because the insulin, um, our bodies will spike insulin more late or is that something else? It's, it's, it's for a digestive purpose, perhaps for the insulin purpose. And I think that that's a little iffy right now. We don't know exactly what snacking and grazing does, but a lot of people don't tolerate it well. So listen, as long as what you're eating has fat, protein, and a little bit of carbohydrates, I think you're on good ground. You're on safe ground. Well, what do we do, all our listeners, think about it. What do we do as Americans every night? Tonight, I'm going to be watching the game, and I'm going to be snacking during the game. And then the next night, I'm going to be watching hockey and snacking during the game. That's all we do as Americans, and we keep getting fatter and fatter. So I, I think there's definitely a connection there between all the snacking we're doing late. You know? I think it's all like our brains are telling us we're hungry, and we're not really hungry. No, we're tired and we're drained mentally. And so we translate that into hunger. So that's why you shouldn't eat beyond eight o'clock. Dr. Ann, I got one more question for you. And this is something I haven't seen you talk about in any of your books. Is liver, particularly beef liver, is a great source of choline and lecithin, but it can also be a source of parasites. What are your thoughts on eating organ meats? Is this something you recommend or avoid? And then parasites... How common is that, and what are some things you can do to get rid of them? Well, you've opened up a can of worms. Can of, can, <laughs> so, of can of parasites. Yeah, so here's what I'd like to say about that. I'm not so certain about if the liver is cooked and it's desiccated liver, I think some people do very well with desiccated liver, and it is a good source of choline and inositol and probably methionine as well, also a good source of minerals as well as copper and zinc. My concern with parasites is people that are eating sushi, Trevor. I see a lot of illness and uh, associated GI distress years after people have consumed certain types of sushi or sashimi dishes. So I think anything that contains raw fish is a no-no in this day and age. And if you're going to be eating regular fish, which can be very infested, and I hate to say it, but a lot of fish is very, very wormy. 
You've got to make sure that you're cooking it adequately and it should not be pre-cooked in a microwave. You don't use a microwave except for heating something that's already been thoroughly cooked. So that's what I'm going to say about the parasites. People should at least twice a year engage in a parasite detox. I've written books about it. I can tell you how important it is. It's important if you've got mystery illnesses, if you've got symptoms that have not been dealt with in any other way, go to the parasites. You can't even get tested for them because there are over 130 varieties and the labs test for maybe four or five. So it's important to do a detox for parasites, a colon cleanse at least twice a year, using certain herbs that you can find easily in the health food store or through my books. And I also think that it might not hurt, it wouldn't hurt if in your daily smoothies you have some diatomaceous earth, which is anti-parasitic, putting in maybe one tablespoon per smoothie. Do you think that guy is like, remember that infomercial? It was like, like 10 or 15 years ago. That guy, he used to sell a supplement for detox. And he, he showed a picture that he claimed he had uh, passed a six foot long nest of worms. And he like showed a picture of it. Do you remember that infomercial? Is that true? Or is he just BSing? Oh, I'm sure that's true. I mean, people used to years ago take a diet aid that had tapeworm in it. It was a tapeworm uh, egg, I think, that was in there. Now, a lot of that is true. When people detox, they pass all kinds of things, and these are long worms. They're now rope worms and whip worms and hook worms and thread worms. People are, if their immune system isn't working well, if their HCL isn't being produced, if they don't have good liver function, people are very toxic, as toxic now as they ever were when I started my career many, many years ago. Trevor was telling me he pulled an eight-foot worm out of his butt like a year ago <laughs> because he went to Asia like for a month and he ate like raw sushi. And I told him oh, like, dude, don't eat raw sushi. But Trevor's stubborn. He didn't listen. <laughs> he came back and he pulled it out. Oh, well, thank you for that information, Steve. <laughs> Trevor, we can send you, I can send you my detox kit. If you'd like me to as a gift, you let me know off camera and I'll send it to you because you may still have something in your system. Dr. Anna, Steve was just pulling your leg. Oh, well, well, we've had people that have sent me worms like that in little formaldehyde tubes that they have pulled from their bodies or in their stools. So it's very, it's, it's not unusual for me to hear those kinds of stories. Trevor's just being shy. It happened off air, but let's just go with it didn't happen. <laughs> we'll go with it didn't happen. Dr. Anna, I love you talking about sushi because I agree with you completely. And especially like I live in Winnipeg, we're in the middle of the prairies, there's no close ocean. So I mean, by the time you're eating that raw fish, it's probably been four or five days since it was caught. So I, I totally agree with you. It's very, very scary. The last question I have for you is diatomaceous earth. You also hear a lot about activated charcoal. Are they similar? Is one better than the other? What are your thoughts on those two supplements? I think that those two supplements are very different. Uh, I love activated charcoal because it's inexpensive. It's a good binder of toxins when you're detoxifying. I have used it on many a cruise. I cruise very frequently with groups. So I think that's good as an overall detoxifier for food poisoning and uh, detoxification as a binder. The diatomaceous earth, however, will cut up in very, very small pieces some of the worms that could be in the intestinal tract. It's almost like fine glass. It looks like cut glass under a microscope. So it has a different function. I would use both, quite frankly, if it were me. How, how would you use both? 
I would take the diatomaceous earth, a tablespoon in a smoothie, you just blend it up together. And the, the, um, the charcoal, once or twice a week, I would take two capsules of activated charcoal, two capsules twice a day, every four days. It takes four days for a toxin to kind of move through the system, or if there's kind of a food intolerance. So I would do that every four days. So I have one more question and I'll let Trevor close up. Traveling abroad, um, we hear stories a lot and I've experienced that food poisoning like you were talking about, the runs, we get the runs. What's a good thing, you know, um, a good little thing to take with you to protect yourself in case that happens? Like I always make sure I take activated charcoal as it is. Is there something else? Is there a little concoction that will work or would that also work in that situation where we can kind of take it with us um, on vacation in case we get food poisoning or get the runs. So what I tell my people is this, get, get, they, everybody should take a good probiotic, number one, with them on vacation and get the My Colon Cleansing Kit, which are two ingredients that I have worked with for 25 years to protect people. Now I'm going on a cruise. I'm doing a cruise with the Oprah Winfrey Magazine Group this weekend. I am taking with me, because we're traveling the, the Caribbean, I'm taking my colon cleansing kit, which is two ingredients. One is a pill form, one is a tincture form to protect against the small guys and the big guys that could be in the water that I'm drinking or in the food that I'm eating, and then I don't worry. So you gotta take something that protects you against the microscopic invaders, the amoeba, the giardia that could make the runs or what we sometimes mistake as food poisoning and the larger critters that you could be getting with undercooked and improperly washed food. So that's my story guys and I'm sticking to it. Dr. Ann, we appreciate you so much for doing this episode. Where can our listeners buy your newest book, Radical Metabolism? At radicalmetabolism.com. We made that really easy. <laughs> so for our listeners i will have that in, on the show notes so you can just click that right away radicalmetabolism.com are you shipping worldwide i believe we are okay so for all of our listeners definitely check out her book it is very very i promise you'll be worth the investment her fat flush plan is another very good book that i recommend for your host trevor Karitzen, for my co-host steve smee and for our special guest Dr. Anne-Louise Gittleman. This has been another episode of Evolutionary Radio. Live your life, look good, do again. Thanks for listening.
Mm-hmm.